0: Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by MUBI, the curated online streaming service showcasing exceptional films from around the globe. For a free 30-day trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. <laughs> Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, the movie podcast for thefilmstage.com. As always, I'm your host, Brian J. Rowan. With me today, we have Bill Graham. Woo! We also have Rob and Barr. Hey, y'all. Hello. And with us today to help us discuss Coda, the new film that is now streaming on Apple TV Plus, it's Kristen Lopez. Hello. Hello, Kristen. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing good. I get to talk about this movie, so it's a good day.
0: Woo! I am certainly glad you feel that way. Would you like to introduce yourself uh, to the audience?
1: Sure. I am the TV editor for IndieWire. I'm also a writer, uh, classic film fan, podcaster, jack-of-all-trades, and a a disabled person uh, who uses a wheelchair in case somebody wants to come for my, my bona fides when it comes to talking about... Uh, this
0: movie i you know it's it's i was about to say like you know i i will never have that like i am i'm always the person who if someone comes at me and says like you shouldn't be talking about this i'll be like yeah i'm just screwed yeah that's i'm a a
2: white man you're probably (laughs) right
0: yeah i am a a white male uh who is like a christian and is uh heterosexual so yeah i shouldn't talk about anything But anyway, I'll plow (laughs) ahead. Yeah, at least I'm not one of those people who's like, I have as much of a right to be here.
1: At least you're not one of those, you know, everybody should be, anybody should be able to talk about anything.
0: I think you can talk about it. You just can't like proclaim any kind of like true knowledge or specificity. But like, you know. Exactly. Yeah, so that's, I I think that uh, there's a part of me that thinks that one of the reasons that I've maintained my status as the host of this podcast is because I'm just really good at getting out of the way of people who want to shout about things.
2: I think you have plenty of other identities, Brian. You're a no. single dad.
0: Oh, yeah, I got that. That's going You're
2: like me. a depressive. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. Okay, that's right. I was perfectly... Uh, I was perfectly good at talking about Manchester by the Sea, the only movie where it's like, <laughs> "Oh, that's Brian's demographic." That's it. We've hit on it. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Super depressed person who has and way you too get much to talk about.
2: <laughs> you get to talk about another uh, North Shore, north of Boston was movie to today, say,
0: like North North New England. <laughs> mm-hmm. Lots of well, it's not uh, lots North
2: North. It's not Maine.
0: How many, how many norths? <laughs> what is the mile It's like <laughs> stretch a half an
2: hour from north. Boston.
0: That's all right. Whatever. Anyway. Uh, but yeah. So here we are. We are here to talk about Coda. Um, this is the new film that's again streaming right now on Apple TV Plus. And uh, we're going to talk about it. Before we do that, the usual stuff. You can find us on Twitter at Film Stage Show. Facebook, The Film Stage Show. You can email us, podcast at thefilmstage.com. And, uh, of course, you can become a patron of this year' podcast by going to patreon.com slash the film stage show for as little as $1 an episode. You get access to our super cool Slack channel, as well as a free crack at all of our ra- movie related raffles from thefilmstage.com. dot com. And uh, we're also brought to you by Mubi, which, again, is the curated streaming service that showcases exceptional films from around the globe. Uh, there's always something new to discover on Mubi because every day they premiere a brand new film. Whether it's a Thomas classic, a cult favorite, or an acclaimed masterpiece, it's guaranteed to either be a movie you've been dying to see or you've never heard of before, and there will always be something new to discover. Uh, every film is hand selected, uh, so you don't have to worry about spending more time looking for something great to watch. Instead, you'll actually be watching something great that you know is picked by someone with thoughts and feelings on those movies, not a heartless, soulless algorithm. Just to prove that is true, I've got an algorithm-proof movie to talk about today. It is called Generations. It is from Lynn Seifert. And I would like to read the synopsis. 13 static shots of coal-fired power stations across the United States. Some are observed from a distance. Others dominate the frame. They stand in rural landscapes and urban settings. Sometimes people are visible before them. Dwarfed by their size and sometimes not a soul is in sight. This movie is 67 minutes long. And uh, you can watch it now on Movie. So check it out. Has anyone seen this film?
3: Mm -mm. I have no idea what this is.
0: Yeah, it's a 2020 film. It's a Movie exclusive. Uh, Their take, because they actually take the time to write up a little thing about why they chose a movie. Inspired by George Inez's 1855 painting, The Lackawanna Valley, Lynn Seifert mounts a structuralist meditation on the relationship between landscape and industry. Inviting comparisons to the work of James Benning, Generations is a rigorous wonder of sound design and interpretive possibility. So yeah, you can check that out on movie right now. It is, uh, it's one of those films that I feel like my parents would uh, scoff at and that people would make a joke about and not realize they were actually describing a real movie. Like that time that I said that Michael Snydell was probably going to pick a top 10 that included a six hour documentary about like, a municipal building. Uh, and I didn't even realize that he had done that. It's called city <laughs> hall. So, so yeah, naturally make sure to check it out. Uh, you can get a free 30 day trial of movie by going to MUBI.com slash film stage. Again, that is mubi.com slash film stage. And I believe that that is all, uh, does anyone else have anything to talk about or any updates they want to give before we jump into Coda? Hmm. I watched Freddy
2: Got Fingered this weekend.
0: Okay. Uh, Thoughts?
2: You know, I laughed more than I thought I would. Okay. Uh, But it was still really like a one-star movie. All
0: right. That's fair. (laughs) I mean,
2: you know, it's been 20 years. I have this theory that... So, so you know, uh, Tom Green, you know, he was very... Doing, doing that shock comedy yeah. when that was still feeling like really fresh back in the early 2000s, around 2000. And then he got testicular cancer and, and his show went away. And then he, the movie came out and it, it was, I wouldn't call it a bomb, but it made even money. It was like cost 14 million. It made 14 million. So it didn't really go anywhere. Uh, and then he just kind of disappeared. And my theory is this movie came out in like spring of 2001 I think that 9/11 killed Tom Green's career because people's sensibilities changed after 9/11 and that kind of gross out just like utterly going for it didn't really matter. You know, almost like this anti-humor it just didn't really fly anymore in the in the mainstream per se. So a lot of that like kind of moved into cringe comedy, like that like awkward the office type stuff. so i don't know i mean not everybody's given a lot of thought to tom green's career in a while but it really did make me think
0: there was there was a moment earlier this year i think that a lot of people were interviewing tom green and i think it was for the 20th anniversary of Mm -hmm.
2: yeah that's why i watched it
0: (laughs) all right i mean that's as good a reason as any to do anything i suppose
2: yeah well somebody was like oh why would you watch that i'm like well i'm a film critic and i have to sort of look back at these things sometimes even if it's not quite my taste right it could have been worse
0: Everyone's small. You just got to go back and see what was popular way back when. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that is a sort of tepid, almost recommendation for Freddie Got a Finger.
2: <laughs> I mean, it still got one out of four stars, but I've seen worse movies.
0: Barely, apparently. Um, okay. Well, that's cool. We don't have to talk about anything else uh, because we got to talk about Coda. Again, this movie is on Apple TV Plus right now. Um, this movie is directed by and I apologize cuz I'm going to get this wrong. I assume uh Sean Hedder? Yeah. Oh, did I do it right? Yeah. Oh, shit. I, okay, of I course. know I
1: know I know this because when I did a, a panel for Coda, I I assumed it was it was Sean like like they usually do it and right. She um, very strongly corrected me that it is Cion, so I felt hmm. very very dumb.
0: <laughs> I am. I like. I almost want to just stop the podcast right now because I got that name right, and I'm just uh, so excited <laughs> about it. But I'm also oh, excited like my- <laughs> to talk about this movie. So we're not going to do that. What were you going to say, Robin?
2: Oh, it's that my friend was texting me about uh, Mayor of Easttown earlier this week, and he spelled Siobhan like S H I V A N. I mean, how is he supposed to know that it's <laughs>
0: It's Not spelled b a n
2: Yeah, <laughs> but it was very cute.
0: Yeah, no, I feel that. Um, <laughs> that's fair. Uh, those Gaelic names. Anyway, so uh, this movie is about a young woman named Ruby, who is the child of two deaf parents, and uh, also has a deaf brother, and how she is struggling to uh, find a way to define her own life and her own goals, as she also struggles to act as the conduit between her deaf parents and a brother and the hearing world around them and we are here to talk about it and as i said it is on apple tv plus right now and here is the trailer
4: you're the girl with the deaf family yeah I just to tell you right now
2: and you sing interesting
3: are you doing next year
4: working with my family
0: all right so that is part of the trailer for coda which is um an acronym actually uh child of deaf adults uh, a thing that the movie does not tell you But anyway, we're here to talk about this film. We start, as always, with our basic spoiler-free thoughts. And let's begin with Kristen Lopez. What are your thoughts on Coda? Uh,
1: I was fortunate to see this at Sundance this year. I was fortunate to go to Sundance this year because (laughs) it's one of the more inaccessible festivals. And they did it all online because accessibility is a thing if you choose to do it. Um, So I was happy to get to, to see it from the privacy of my own home. And I loved it. It was a movie that stuck with me. And I talk a lot about disability representation in film. And one of the questions I always asked is, what are the good movies that you recommend?" And I usually have a caveat where I say, well, none of them are perfect. They're just better than others, which are just bad. Um, I feel like the spectrum for deaf and disabled movies tends to be not terrible and just, dear God, why does this exist? Um, With very little in between. So I was very happy to get to tell people that this is more of what I want to see. Um, It's not perfect. It is, again, not directed by a deaf director. It's not written by a deaf person, but at the same time, it has a predominantly deaf cast, which is a big deal. Um, and it tells a story about family from a deaf perspective. You know, it, it, there's that universal quality to it, but it shows the, the challenges that kind of come from living in a world that's not designed for you. And what is that struggle when you unfortunately are the person that becomes the one that has to help because society just really doesn't think to plan well enough. Um, I love the performances. I love that it's gotten emphasis on music. Uh, I love Marley Matlin and Troy Kotzer. I just was so happy about this. And I keep telling people, I want to see this is a great start. I want to see this go further. I want more movies like this and less me before you or whatever, sad sack. Bullshit, dead, disabled person movie that we keep wanting to put out every couple of years. Um, so, so this was this was what I wanted. I was very I I love this movie.
0: All right, Bill Graham
3: yeah so uh i didn't quite know what to expect uh coming into this in terms of how it was going to deal with representation and everything like that i had seen the trailer uh in front of the few i think i've seen like four films in a theater at this point and i saw the trailer i think in front of every single one of those um so i was definitely looking forward to this uh but I was kind of hesitant because i didn't know how it was going to deal with the representation aspect and i don't have a lot of experience in that in that way uh brian was joking earlier about the fact that you know he's a he's a white man that's single or uh, christian and straight and everything like that and you know i don't fall too far off of that that tree either um and so I was curious to see how it was going to handle this, and so that's why I'm looking forward to having this conversation specifically with you, Kristen. But uh, I really enjoyed this. Um, I think more than anything, this is a universal story in a lot of ways. Yes, there are some specifics in terms of the family dynamics and things of that nature, but I think this desire to move beyond your your immediate circle and your circumstances and things of that nature is definitely something that I think a lot of people can relate to. So, uh, whether it has these specifics about uh, the death p- family and, and things of that nature, um, kind of... I wouldn't say gets put to the wayside, but it's definitely not um, not something that everybody's going to be able to relate to, but they can probably relate to the main uh, main idea of the story. So uh, I thought their performances were... A- a- across the board very very good uh in particular uh the uh choir teacher was very good uh i don't recognize or remember his name at the, off the top of my head um but yeah i really enjoyed this and uh i didn't know what to expect coming in and i'm i'm i was pleasantly surprised so
0: all right robin bar
2: yeah um well i definitely want to echo what Kristen was saying how This movie does something so very well and some things that are like, well, this is a building block and hopefully in the future we'll have more and better representation uh, across the disability spectrum. So I kind of went into it with that perspective and I actually ended up enjoying it more than I thought I would. Um, The way I've been describing it to my friends is it's it's a kind of mediocre high school romance or. I don't even know if romance is quite the word, uh, but it's it, it's a formulaic high school movie and a great family drama. And the family drama is what makes this movie work so well. Did I really care about the storyline where the daughter wants to pursue a music career because she's a singer? Like the irony was like a little bit annoying. Um, <laughs> did it have to be singing per se? But at the same time, the family dynamics are just so lived in and so real everything from just the details of, of life in the family, like how, um, well, first of all, they're fishers. And so I, I liked seeing things set in new England about new Englanders. Um, and that felt very real how they're part of this community, but they're not because they're othered by the fisher, the other fishermen who are in the same waters. And so this family is, uh, not ousted per se because they're definitely like included in some respects, but also ignored in others. So I, I enjoyed seeing that um, that aspect of the of the film, but also like the house they live in, the family trouble, the sorry, the financial troubles that they're dealing with, um, some of the details like the parents and their sex life. I loved seeing the dad who <laughs> loves uh, gangster rap because of the vibrations and there are all these like little things that felt so tangible to me so i loved seeing that and that is what made it go farther than just being like a you know girl pursues her dreams movie which we've seen a million times before um and It's also a movie that like, really, it snuck up on me. Like I was enjoying it. I'm like, this is solid. This is solid. And then at some point I just find myself crying and I'm just like, when did that happen? (laughs) I like as water is coming out of my face, I look over to my husband. I'm like, I am crying right now. I did not realize this was happening. Um, So it, it, it definitely worked on that level. And it's such a crowd pleaser, you know? Um, And I, Kristen, I'm curious your thoughts on this because when I was watching sound of metal, um, there are a lot of things I liked about that movie, but in some ways, it turned this person's hearing loss into spectacle. And they do a lot of stuff with sound that just kind of made it seem like uh, a non-deaf director interpreting for a hearing audience what he presumes hearing loss would look like or sound like. And so that's how the movie came across to me. In this, you're I'm definitely like well it's still the protagonist is like the hearing person. And, and I understand that there's, there could be a lot of feelings. I, I I grew up with a parent with a disability. So I, I understand being a non-disabled person who has certain responsibilities as being the child of a person with a disability, but I'm still like, when is the movie going to be about the deaf person and not like having somebody act as a cultural proxy, you know? So, so I get it from that perspective at the same time, like it was still just a a good family movie. And I cried and I thought Troy Kotzer is, I mean, so far my uh, favorite supporting performance of the year. So I'm definitely going to be, advocating for him at the year-end awards and all that kind of stuff because he is fantastic in this movie but anyway those are my nutshell thoughts
0: just like when we all agreed like oh the guy from sound of metal he's got to be like supporting oh yeah paul here.
2: Rachi. Yeah. yeah i loved him as well
0: just like going nuts for that guy um yeah
2: but troy Kotzer is so funny in this movie i mean oh, it's like yeah. pure it's a comedic performance he's so good
0: so I, um, I heard about this uh, when it was airing at Sundance in, in whatever form or fashion that, that festival took this year, um, which I can't even remember. Um, and I, um, I saw like 30-second, 15-second ad spots for it because I'm, I'm I am watching The Office talking about cringe comedy on um, mm. Peacock. And so there's ads, and uh, the ones that aren't for State Farm or Target uh, are for Coda. And um, I, it, the this is the thing. I am definitely not the person that like 15-second TV spots are made for, for any movie. Um, and I was deeply concerned about having to watch this film, because I was like, wow, I'm going to hate this. Um, this just does not seem like it's up my alley at all. So, uh, so I, I turned it on with dread and, uh, what do you know? I actually really, really liked this movie. I, it's one of those things where like you see the commercial and then you watch the movie and you're like, okay, I understand why they chose those scenes. Cause they are like the big emotional moments that might convince like my mother to like watch a movie like this. Um, but it, it skips over like all the really well observed, you know, subtler moments that I think are what make this movie. Um and it's just you know advertisements are always going to be difficult. Um but yeah, I mean this is this is I I I just love the hell out of this movie. I I've found myself thinking about it like all day, not just because the songs are stuck in my head, but just because, you know, uh Troy kotzer is is amazing. Uh Amelia Jones, who I don't think I've ever seen in anything else, is a uh, really good in this in what could be a a role that would be like or a a character that would be difficult to fully get behind. Um, and yeah, I think that the movie, you know, it, it's interesting to hear it described as like a drama or a high school romance. Cause I feel like it's playing outside the edges of what those movies would usually deal with. Like she's got a bully in this movie and at a certain point they just kind of drop her. Like she just mm-hmm. ceases to be a concern. Like there doesn't have to be a big showdown because at a certain point, the protagonist has almost matured outside of having to give a shit what the bully thinks, and the movie is like, "Yeah, all right, well, we're done with that." And then there's another like tertiary sort of like romantic entanglement that happens that like is brought up early on and then never becomes a source of tension like I thought it would, which made me happy and just yeah, it's it's really nice to see a movie that understands that like those things are there and they happen and that's like a good reflection of reality. But like, we don't have to get bogged down in that because that's not the story we're telling. So I think in terms of, you know, writing, story editing, everything like that, really smart choices all around. And, uh, yeah, it's just, it's, um, it's a really nice movie. And I think that there's a lot of stuff in this that I was dreading really, like everything with, um, the teacher, uh, Bernardo uh, Villalobos um, and the, the, the the protagonist uh, Ruby. I, I was again, it's just one of those things where I saw that in the trail. I was like, oh man, I'm really not going to like this, but he's so good without falling into the traps of either being too saintly or too much of an asshole. And she's really good at playing off of him and, and winning him over. And I think that honestly, the way that this movie describes singing and showcases the voices of the talent involved, Uh, once again, operate in a way that are really just a lot better than these movies would usually operate. So I was super excited about that. And um, so that's a very long rambling way of saying that they uh, give this movie like B plus, A minus, and I would strongly recommend that people check it out.
2: I agree with that. I, I lean toward cool. a minus.
0: Yeah, like here's the thing. I was I was watching it, and then as I was driving around later today, having uh put um Marvin Gaye and um oh Christ, now I can't remember her name on my Spotify. I was like, is that one of my top ten movies of the year? And I legitimately think that it might be. And granted, it's it's still been a not quite normal year for cinema, um, but i it's yeah i just feel like this is going to be one of those movies that even at the end of the year i may think about this more than other movies that i may have quote unquote liked more just Mm -hmm. because it's it's so effective and it's so nice like it's just nice to see this movie yeah i found that it was a a bright spot in my day
2: when i first saw barb and star go to vista del mar i gave it like two and a half stars which is for me is like a b or a B minus barb
0: and star go to miss del marcus two and a half stars
2: (laughs) when i yes when i first saw it and then immediately after i was like i have to see this movie again and that never happens to me i have this rule where i can't rewatch a movie within like five years
0: wow uh, oh fucking (laughs) wow so when i talked about seeing luca 30 times in a single week did that just like (laughs)
2: <laughs> Where are you oh it explodes it explodes me um which is very opposite of how I was as a kid because I did exactly what Cora does but anyway so I re-watched Star I was like I'm gonna give that three stars and now I'm like there's no way it's not gonna be in my top 10 of the year there's just no way like that movie just snuck up on me and I kind of feel that way about Coda I was enjoying it and then it just snuck up on me I was like oh like this movie's so good
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. Like I said, I started it and you know Yeah, this is the type of thing where if we had a bigger audience, I'm sure people would turn this into a conspiracy theory. But like, you know, critics like to say they don't go in with any preconceptions, but that's a lie. Like, we know <laughs> we know who the creatives we like are, we know who the creatives we dislike are. You know, there's a reason that like you'll kind of get excited when you see that a certain critic is reviewing a certain movie because you're like, oh, he hates that person. This is going to be a great takedown review. But like, it's nice to walk in with those preconceptions and still find that you can have your opinion changed because that's how you know you're not a jaded, self-important asshole. So, you know, I walk into this and I'm like, look, I'm going to give this a fair shake. But I, this might be one of those reviews where I just say, it's not for me. You know, I understand that people might like the saccharine nonsense, but I am a jaded depressive former alcoholic with a lot going on in his life. And, um, instead I'm like, Oh no, this is like super well done. Incredibly uh, like, you know, handsome movie with good performances, uh, both in the acting and singing, which is always a concern in a movie like this. And I'm very excited that I was able to see it. Cause I don't think I would have watched this on my own. And, uh, once again, I am grateful to be part of this podcast that makes me watch random stuff. <laughs> yeah. The movie fought my cynicism and the movie won. Hmm. Good for the movie.
2: <laughs> Have you liked two movies in a row? That's a, that's like a record.
0: What did we talk about last week? Val. Val. I did like Val. Yeah. And then before hmm. that was Green Knight, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that's like three wow. movies in a row.
2: You're out of your hole.
0: Uh, yay. <laughs> We're on an upswing. What are we talking about next week?
2: Annette.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. Oh, boy. Well, you know, all good things must come to an end. Um, Mm -hmm. And (laughs) it. I'm so mad at you.
2: Thank you for my single laugh.
0: Oh, and before that was old, too. So that's four movies in a row. Unfortunately, before that was No Sudden Move and Zola and F9. So
2: Hmm, I like like most of those.
0: Interesting. I uh disliked two of those. Anyway, what I was also going to say is I'm I'm also this is, what's crazy is you know, we watched In the Heights, right? And I like have not been able to even stitch together like a lyric from that movie in my head.
2: You're a nut job.
0: Yeah, well that's a terrible movie. And <laughs> instead this movie I'm like walking around town just like whistling uh both sides now and all that I need to get by. Cuz it's this-
2: like legit the songs that have been around for fifty years. Yeah, they're great songs. Like
0: the Great yeah. American, American
2: Songbook. Yeah, but,
0: but they're also like deployed well in this movie. Like that—that's the like I've seen plenty of shitty movies that have good songs, and I'm not like, oh, that's I'm gonna t- whistle that song all day. But like the songs are now attached to an emotional moment in this movie, and so it's uh, its working in its favor.
2: I definitely could not get into any of the music parts. I don't know if it's because like I was a chorus person myself or. Whatever, but it's just like uh, this does nothing. I, for I me. was
1: I was a chorus person as well, and I love. I maintain that movies lie about what schools are actually like. Um, <laughs> well, they have the to. Biggest, yeah. <laughs> yes, one of the big like chorus lies that I I love to see in movies, maybe because my chorus didn't do it. Like we never did solos. That was never something that we did. We sang mm-hmm. group songs. Damn it! So everybody yeah. sang. Um, so I just, I love m- movies about choir where they're like competing for a solo. And I'm just like, that's not, is that a thing? Like, I would Same. think the concept of singing by myself on stage would be terrifying. That's why when I, I did choir, like I, they put me in front because, you know, the wheelchair and I'm short. Um, so I didn't really have a chance, but I <laughs> the last thing I wanted to do was sing Seize the Day from Newsies by myself.
0: Oh, my <laughs> God. Well, I <laughs> would kill to sing Seize the Day by myself. I love that I mean, song.
1: I will at home, but not in front of my friends and colleagues, you know, my, my peers.
2: No, my, colleagues. <laughs> <and> my colleagues. My colleagues at high school. That's not My happening. colleagues
0: in Biology 301.
2: I think chorus is a very different skill than being a solo singer. It's not that one is better than the other, because, frankly, when you're in a chorus, you have to learn not to be... Uh, the egotist you have to learn how to blend your voice in with other people and I think that does take a particular type of talent and so I agree with you uh, Kristen that it 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 just like doesn't I don't know if that was what the movie was about or like any movie actually showed what chorus is like you know not the glee version uh, I would find that very interesting although I did love all of the the vocal exercises because i was trying to explain to my husband like this is real like you do weird shit like this all of the time gotta be
0: big dog little dog
2: yeah you really you have to find the um whatever it is just like the the beast inside of you see <laughs> the, that's... Uh, the top voice versus the like they the call the like, yeah the, the head, head yeah, voice the yeah
0: what is Okay, yeah. yeah, all right. So so one of the, one of the things that I did like about this if we want to talk about musicals that use songs from the Great American Songbook. Did anyone here watch Zoe's extraordinary playlist?
2: God fucking no.
0: Okay. I couldn't stand that. My, my
1: mother did, so I feel like I was watching stuff by proxy. So
0: I watched uh, you know and I stopped at a certain point in season 2, but I watched every episode of that because I was like there this will get good. Right? Like mm. it has to get good they can't continuously be this bad and when it gets good it's going to be incredible and it never got there um mm-hmm. and part of the reason is because and I, it's something that uh, that the uh, the professor the professor the teacher in this movie said is like you're not singing with your whole body like you're 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 not giving me the beast and the emotion and that is like all Zoe's extraordinary playlist was was just like the most like just the back of your throat version of a song with like it's, and it's a fucking show is supposed to be about how this woman has like an empathy power that manifests itself in song. And every single song was sang at like a six and it was just bad. Um, So that, that, you know, that was, a, that was a, that was a letdown. It also is funny because I think the second episode of Zori's Ex- extraordinary playlist opens with the song that the, uh, The choir in this this movie opens their you know fall spectacular with or whatever
2: speaking of which (laughs) i loved that scene so much because unlike so many movies we've seen before where there's some magical performance the parents for very obvious reasons are bored by it and they display their boredom um i just thought that was so well done and and so i mean real i when i say real i mean like I could imagine that being a real experience. I can't say like for a fact that I've I'm I have a knowledge about somebody who has is deaf and has been in an audience of a performance, but it just seemed so uh so rich to see that scene. And I love that. And like I mean, who hasn't been in an audience and been so fucking bored by it? Uh by like a, <laughs> a high school performance or something. And I say that as a as a previous performer
0: i also Um, like that scene because some of those kids were not as good as the others
2: (laughs) (laughs) which is also real
1: yeah
0: exactly You, you
1: bring you bring up that sequence and it's where i think there's a lot of give and take to this movie from a representation standpoint you know i i i love the movie and i don't necessarily want people to assume that like i dislike it but there are valid criticisms to it from a from a deaf and disability standpoint. And I think that scene, especially, I would have loved for them to be talking about making dinner and what are we going to eat and what are we doing? Are we going to go to the store? Not necessarily because they can't hear what's going on, but because they're, like like Robin said, genuinely bored by what's happening. And it's one of the things that I thought of, and it's, I mean, it's impossible to not think of lived experience if you are a member of a marginalized group, watching a movie about a marginalized group. And I just kept thinking about how in all of my school career, whether that was elementary school or high school or college, the ways that able people kind of fall over themselves to not look like ableish mucks, schmucks. Um, and a lot of that is kind of overly doing things that they assume that you would need. And For a movie where everybody seems to know that Ruby's family is deaf, I was really struck by the fact that they didn't attempt to get some type of interpreter at the event so that they would be able to hear what's going on and kind of falling over themselves to be like, oh, my gosh, no, we have to have somebody like we have to we can't not have the one family who is deaf here with our students. We don't have time
0: for that. Damn it. The fish. Exactly.
1: Exactly. (laughs) Like I, I would have, I was really kind of struck by some of the moments where I was like, so do people know, is this like a big deal in her life or is it something that she keeps hidden? You can't really have it both ways. And as much as I love the movie, I do think there are some moments for entertainment value that they kind of have to be like, okay, well we got to, you got to skirt some things. It's like, it's like what Robin said about sound, sound of metal. You know, there are definitely moments in that movie and sound of metal again, is another movie that I really enjoy that I think is a step in the right direction, but that still is kind of focusing on the wrong things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I feel like, yeah, there are definitely moments in this movie where I tell people, and, and there are certainly deaf, deaf writers who have criticized the movie far, far, you know, more, more harshly than I have and, and they have every right to do that um but there are definitely moments where I was kind of like
2: hmm that's a decision that somebody made <laughs> yeah I just that's exactly how I felt about it
0: yeah I think I think back you know you saying that to when I was in elementary school and there were two um deaf kids in my grade and so like they were in the same class. I don't know how you guys did your elementary school, but you had your homeroom, and then you'd rotate through the the other things, you know, language arts and everything. And um, in
2: different classrooms.
0: Yeah, so you'd you'd like because each I don't know this is not necessary. So each grade had like four teachers, and each teacher had a specialty, and so your homeroom so teacher. So it's like would be, middle yeah. school. Yeah. What did your okay. What did your elementary school do? <laughs>
2: Just we sit had, in like, one room all day.
0: Oh, that fucking sucks. How did your teacher teach you anything? There's no <laughs> Oh, because They were brilliant. Okay.
1: It, it, was, it was just like we had a time for English and then we did recess and then we had a time for math. Or in my case, I went to a bilingual school for a couple of years. And so we would actually have to do stuff twice. So if we did like social studies and we had to read a chapter out loud, they would have to read it in English and then have the teacher read it to us in Spanish.
0: Well that's a lot. Um anyway. It was a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um that is to say I had I had two uh kids in my grade who used sign language so they had uh, an interpreter who would stand up at the top of the class with the teacher and, and would sign and like at all the the what did they what did they call them when everyone would go into the auditorium and we'd have like a presentation and you know that person was always there that person is interpreter Yeah, the the interpreter. I already said interpreter. I need to know what you call. Oh, assembly. During an assembly, (laughs) the interpreter would be up there signing. Like, so yeah, it is funny that in this movie, it's I guess like they just the school really was like you know we're too busy concerned about how there's no fish no more, so we're not going to do that. Like we just don't have the time.
2: I mean, honestly, it's not just school like uh, K through twelve schools that do this. I work at a university. I work in accessibility at like a world-class university and you and sometimes people fall over themselves not realizing like just basic etiquette like for accessibility in events and sometimes you just kind of feel like do I really have to explain this like what is so hard about this and I mean it could be anything could be a professor that refuses to wear a microphone for example or it could just be like making sure that the classroom that is accessible on paper is actually physically accessible in like real lived experience. And that sometimes also doesn't happen. So, I mean, that did not even stand out to me because it, it's very much an afterthought, like, unfortunately. Interesting. Especially at a, at a school where, you know, it's like not, I'm sure it's like a fine the, school and everything, but
0: the, the only time that it really stuck out to me, cause like the, the student isn't the deaf one. So I was like, you know, it makes sense that the school wouldn't be like, well, we got to get one in here for the parents. It's like, no, f- fuck the parents. Um, Even the if thing-
2: it was the student, it would be a whole thing. I promise.
1: You. Oh yeah. Yeah. There'd be meetings. Oh yeah.
0: am <laughs> well, right, sure that...
1: there'd be posters or something. I mean, they go, they go a little overboard. <laughs>
0: Yes. But so I, I am I am surprised that the the news station wasn't like, hey, these people are deaf. We should maybe have an interpreter.
1: Uh, that was that was a big thing. That was another big thing, too, that I was really struck by, you know, not that they wouldn't see this as a as it. A, a, I would think that most as somebody who's been interviewed by local news as a quote unquote human interest piece, um, I, I was a little struck by like, they're pretty respectful. Like I was like, huh. They should be slavishly falling all over themselves, being like, oh, my gosh, just think of how many minds we're going to mold with your wholesome, inspiring tale of deafness and fishing. You know, like, I can just <laughs> see the angle. But, yeah, the fact that they would, that the assumption is there. Like, what if they had shown up and Ruby was not there? You know, it's not on her to be their interpreter. As a news organization, they... you know it's no different than being like can you physically access our building no Mm -hmm. we should get a ramp um so so yeah I was that was that was the part I think more than anything and even my mom who was watching it with me who had not seen it was kind of like no that's on the news station like that's pretty shitty somebody should have called them out
3: it's it's on the news stations sure but it's also on the parents for not letting her know that that was happening that day like that's, well, yeah, that's a fucking
0: just, i think that's that a shitty thing to do used to her not having plans yeah, you know? right. yeah. Well, like,
1: that that leads to a really interesting discussion i think because i think as much as this movie wants to say certain things about deaf culture and really disability and deafness in society i think it also kind of flops a little bit with regards to discussing advocating for oneself. I mean, especially I I think that, you know, her Ruby's brother, played by Daniel Durant, who's really good, I think that that's his storyline is probably the, the most overt concept of being like, no, as deaf people, we know the world is not designed with us in mind. It's not on us to rely on her. It is on us to advocate for ourselves and try to make that effort. And the movie, I don't really think makes enough of a comment on and it's a generational thing. Like I've I've interviewed um, uh, Paul Rachi, who himself is a CODA. And he talked, he's talked very openly about the struggles of being the hearing person for, for a family that is deaf. And at the same time, the different responses that his own parents had to being deaf in the case of his mom, she lost her hearing later in life. So she knew what she had lost. His dad had been born deaf and had no concept of what hearing was. So he acclimated to it differently. And there's a generational thing that I think the movie could have, could have spoken about with regards to her parents kind of towing that fine line between you're my kid, you have responsibilities As well as we are grown adults who should know that, you know, we need to take the lead on this. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, I agree. It's
1: very similar to me with, you know, I was I was talking about kind of the universe universality, I guess, of this movie. It struck me a lot as like parents who English is not their first language
4: Mm-hmm. And yep. the
1: concept of yeah having to have it have a child who can translate for you and and that's a really interesting concept and I think we see the different push and pull of that in this movie. There's a, a great scene where Ruby and her brother are arguing and she's made the decision to kind of she's made a decision. I don't know if we're talking spoilers yet or not. Um, Go for it. Yeah, yeah. Let's she's it. made a decision to to forsake college and stay with them and he he says very rightfully so, you know, she's A, it makes her kind of a martyr because she is the one forsaking her dreams to stay with us. And also it negates them being responsible adults and, and negates his ability to find his masculinity and find his independence and, you know, do his own thing. And I really love that push and pull dynamic and wish there were more moments like that where it's that kind of discussion of like, I am a deaf person, in 2020 how do i deal with the fact that the world is not going to change for me and unfortunately i have to change for it Mm
4: -hmm.
0: yeah it's great when he when he like makes that point he's like there are ways around this and we're not letting them do it like they're clinging to the crutch and you know these places if they want to deal with us they should like make accommodations for us well i think think as long as you're around
3: I think part of it is also, you know, the mother and daughter have this discussion at some point and or really it's it's the discussion between the two parents that I found so affecting but you know it, the mom clearly is hanging on to her as her child right and that's that's part of this kind of reliance on her is that's an easy way to kind of keep her around and keep her feeling like she is involved in the family right but more than anything it's because you know she just sees her as her her baby and and you know has this fear of like letting her go and i think that's that's something that's kind of one of those universal things that you see as parents you know um where they just you know it's always a discussion when when and if you know children go off to college or you know wherever they may find themselves after high school and you know usually they leave uh you know the nest for a while and that's definitely something that happens to a lot of parents where they have to have that discussion of like okay am i am i going to be okay with this situation and how it's happening and you know um i'm sure it it creeps up on people very quickly you know um
2: yeah and Kristen, to your point earlier, it, it reminded me of something I'm kind of dealing with right now. So you were talking about, I forget what it was, um, Oh, the brother's storyline and how the family is having to get used to not having their daughter around. And that it culminates in this really great scene where, spoilers, uh, the daughter has decided to not go fishing with her family for the first time in a really long time. I think she goes to rehearse instead for this um, upcoming like audition or it was her concert or something and the
3: family. Uh, She uh, she she fucks off and and goes hangs out with the boy.
2: Was that it? It was something like that where she just didn't go with her family. Yeah.
3: And didn't let them know.
2: (laughs) It didn't let them know. And then that was the day where they had to have this inspector come on their boat um, for like environmental reasons and then there, uh, where they would normally rely on um, I forget her, Ruby to hear all the different signals and everything that they need to know as 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 boaters. Um, they didn't have her that day, so the the monitor, uh, this woman, notices that the this. Um, this alert is, is ringing and they can't hear it. And the coast guard comes upon them and it becomes this whole scene. I'm like freaking out as I'm watching it. And Mm -hmm. I kept thinking like this bitch, how dare she? Like this (laughs) interloper is coming in and ruining their lives.
0: Legitimately as she was doing that and like getting freaked out. And I was like, Oh, like she doesn't think these people can take care of themselves. And also she's now calling the coast guard, which seems like an overreaction. I couldn't help, but think about the guy from the EPA and the ghostbusters. (laughs) I was mm-hmm. just like, "This is classic government overreach." I, I mean, okay. with the Protagonists.
2: So I had that exact feeling, but I'm as I work in accessibility, I have a, I'm dealing with a situation now where a student um, it may not be safe for them to navigate campus on their own mm-hmm. uh, due to their disability, and so I'm, I'm kind of dealing with this where like I am that bad guy right now, like because. It, Because of the liability, because of the due diligence, like it would be it would be irresponsible of me not to think of alternate solutions for this student, because if I just if we just let them, uh, you know, do what they think is the right thing, it could cause problems later. And so this is this conversation is kind of the first time where I'm like, oh, my God, the woman actually did the right thing by calling the coast guard even though it it fucking sucked and i watched it 100 from the perspective of the family like what else but what are you supposed to do like if you're manning a boat um there are just certain safety things you can't get around correct it's interesting
1: i mean you, you bring up a really really fascinating point that i think the movie the movie has a real problem not talking about the big A, which is ableism, and how Mm -hmm. so much of that factors into every decision that a lot of these characters make, intentionally or not. You know, with with regards to the boat scene, I mean, A, yes, it's on them. Like, you know, again, as a person, what you need to do on, on a boat, you know, they know that they need someone to... Be, be able to hear the radio and to hear the signals. Although they do have the, the flashing light that I know a lot of mm-hmm. deaf um, users utilize. And I don't know why that doesn't come into the play. Like they've made some accommodations, but then other ones, again, maybe for narrative effect are just not fair. But yeah. they are aware that they need this. It's like a life jacket essentially on a boat. You know, you're aware that you need this, but they talk about there's a financial element, which then makes you say like, OK, but is it right to use your daughter as free labor? Like, just mm-hmm. what, what is the dynamic there? But at the same time, when the woman comes on board, she calls the Coast Guard before the alarm goes off. It's the realization that she that they're both deaf that causes her to start.
2: Oh, I didn't bungle. realize that. Yeah, I thought yeah. she alerted them because they weren't uh, they weren't she, noticing signals she, aler- signals. she
1: alerts them before, the, and then the Coast Guard shows up. The, they call on the radio. Yeah, and the Coast Guard show up, and but, but they showed up because she called them. Um, so she, she did, kind
0: Yeah, of steps, she was worried because she was she was trying to ask a question about the um, yeah the engine. And that's when she realized that they were they were deaf. So I think at that point yeah. she was like, "Oh, this is like a dangerous situation I'm in. I shouldn't be out yeah. here with these." And, so like, that's, it, it feels it didn't feel like she was like, uh "Oh, these guys could hurt themselves." She was more like, "Oh, I would be fine with this if I wasn't on this boat." Like it seemed very right. self motivated. It's the
1: assumption. It's the assumption mm. that uh, they are deaf equals unsafe already. Right. Like there, there's there's an assumption that's not her goddamn
0: made. job. You know exactly. She was just and, supposed and I supposed to be watching the fish.
1: And I would have loved the movie, especially because there's the scene where they're trying to—they're uh, brought up before like the coast guard, the coast guard court. I don't know what you call them. Um, <laughs> where they're—they're they're gonna get fined. And I would have loved some explanation about ableism. You know, kind of the saying: this person assumed yes, we're in the wrong, but at the same time, there was an assumption made. You know, discrimination is a big word, but at the same time, like. How do you not bring that up? And again, advocate for yourself. So yeah, I was I was a little turned off by, I mean, it's a, it's a movie that I, I compare a lot to Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, which is again, another movie I love, but Guess Who's Coming to Dinner was made for the fence sitters in the late 60s. You know, people who already kind of knew racism was bad, but they needed to see it. And I think that this movie does the same thing in terms of saying like, there's a lot of assumptions about deaf people and disabled people. And I already know that. And this movie is showing me that. So it doesn't really, you know, pack a punch. It's more just kind of like, Hey, this is, this is what it could be. This is what these people are doing every day. And, and and I want to emphasize, I think that this movie does, does upend a lot of narratives. One of the big things that I appreciate about this movie is that the Rossies are poor. (laughs) I mean, they're, they're comfortable. I mean they're okay, but they're, you know, they're not They're a living. <laughs> right. You'd like, have they have a house, uh, but it's yeah. not great. And and that's always one thing that really bothers me because movies have historically shown that people with disabilities um are wealthy. You know, we got all this independent hidden money just like. I don't know if you guys know this, but I have my gold bullion in the closet um, that, that they just give me as a disabled person um, to, mm-hmm. to hold on to. Um, and, and that's that's something I really appreciated is that showing that so many deaf and disabled people live at or below the poverty line. And and that's something that I've I've know a lot of friends, good intention friends have been like, yeah, well, with the government gives you money like you're good right and yeah I'm like, oh, but you can't huh. get married yeah exactly you can't get married you can't own a house you know you can't uh can't do a bunch of stuff but yeah my that thousand dollars was really gonna help me uh become a millionaire one day <laughs> hmm.
0: i mean if you just yeah. save it and don't spend it
1: uh, exactly as long <laughs> as i don't ever need food or or bills or a car or any of that i uh, or starbucks i will be uh, a billionaire before
2: you know it I was yeah, gonna say I, I loved now that aspect. I can't aspect remember of this what movie. it was. That <laughs> okay. house was just like so real. Just like everything about it, like a great, the way house. the I love that gables <laughs> were yeah. like so inset, the way like claustrophobic I felt in the bedrooms. Really, like I, I say that as somebody who lives in a small I
0: want to buy that house. Like I really liked that house.
2: I mean it's very lived in, but what I'm saying is it, I'm not c- commenting on like how bad or good it was. It's just that it felt realistic to me, okay. unlike a lot of TV or movie houses. I mean, honestly, uh, what I keep coming to is that I really like this movie. I would have maybe liked this better as a TV series. No. (laughs) Yeah. I I will
1: tell you, I will tell you, Marley
2: Matlin has been
1: trying to get a TV series about a deaf family on television for years. And she will be the first to tell you that networks have told her, yeah we're good, which
0: upsets me. That's extent. crazy because in the era of streaming, we have
2: seriously an right?
0: entire futuristic dystopian weird fantasy show about people who are all blind, and we can't get like a thirty minute sitcom, Ted Lasso style. That? that's fucking C. yeah, yeah on, but Apple, that's, on Apple TV that's, plus starring Jason and momoa build- and Dave batista <laughs>
3: that 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 punch or that that draw line though is that it's an action-packed like thing right and i don't know like i don't necessarily think that it, it, i'm not saying that i'm against it but i'm like i don't necessarily want them to shoehorn being deaf into like an action thing and just like that's that's the draw right like well, see it the draw is the action place.
2: I mean, that's how I see The Quiet Place where, like we talked about this with John Negroni, where a lot of uh, a lot of disability narratives happen to be in superhero or superhero esque stories where somebody who has a disability, then it suddenly becomes their superpower. And I feel like in some ways that's great. In some ways it's uh right. Like Matt Murdock is the daredevil
0: because of his Catholic guilt.
2: I, <laughs> but seriously, I mean uh there but you, you see this all the time. Like um oh my god, don't breathe. I mean like that's a whole thing.
0: I don't even uh, I don't even know about like don't the the fact that they made a sequel to Don't Breathe and that it appears as though he is the protagonist now is just like the craziest fucking thing. But I think I, the, my only pushback to that would be like every narrative is in every genre. Like the, the really, we've kind of come to a point where like if you were to show me a kind and gentle like character study or even like a biting social satire drama that involves like just alone, that would be like out of this world. Like as it is now, everything must be attached in some way to some planet changing nightmare escape or else it's just not going to make money
2: but it'll
0: win Emmys Uh, wait are we on Emmys now
2: no but what (laughs) I mean is like there's you make a show to either get a big audience and whatever get more subscribers or get ad dollars or you make a show to win Emmys so that you can entice audiences and Yes, and so, if
0: you can do both by making that show, uh, like, something about, like, the, like, TV and narrative structures, but it also stars w- Wanda and Pietro, whatever that guy's other name was, <laughs> like, you know, then you've you've double scored. So, like, it, it is annoying that disability narratives get constantly shoehorned into... Uh, or not shoehorned, but like applied to like superhero narratives, but in the same way that almost anything is annoying when it gets applied to a superhero narrative, because the reason you do that is to not have to really address the actual thing you're talking about. Like, like Mm -hmm. daredevil really feels like, okay, like what we, we, we want to be more accessible. We want like superheroes who appeal to everyone. You know, we, we really should like have some disabled superheroes. It's like, okay, okay. But what if that's the superpower? And it's like, okay, great. I've done some cocaine. Please continue. Like,
4: when, <laughs> when
1: you, you bring up a good point. I remember when Shazam came out and people mm. were so excited to have to hear my thoughts on it because they assumed that it was like progress. Um, and I had to break break some hearts because I, you know, in, in that case with um, the Jack Dylan Grazer character, you know, the, the movie is all about quote unquote reaching your full potential and spoiler alert for people who haven't seen Shazam, but when, when Freddie Freeman becomes a superhero, he loses his disability and I'm still kind of interested to figure out how Shazam two plans on playing with that, if at all, because I was like, well then what the hell would be the benefit to him? Not Shazamming into that all the time, because the concept is why would he want to go back to being disabled when he can just snap his fingers and be not disabled? You know, it it leads a lot to a lot of sticky questions that I doubt the screenwriters even thought to think about Um, outside of the fact that Shazam just lost me when, you know, his able-bodied friend decided to beat, the ass of a bully with the kid's crutch and dented it. And I was like, hi, do you know how much durable medical equipment is? Thank insurance. You. <laughs> insurance don't always replace that. So I hope that you have thousands
2: of dollars, kid, <laughs> so that you can replace that for me.
3: <laughs> yeah,
2: don't you love it? I never saw it. <laughs> again, I've actually never so. <laughs> seen this film, so I don't know what the I don't oh know what yeah. not is
0: Shazam uh, I mean, is he's he it's yeah, I don't it's I don't it's know. It's
1: like superhero big. That's how I categorized it. That's like, a
0: good one. Yeah. That's
1: Yeah, like one. he's a kid but he can like turn into a grown grown man and but he's also a superhero. Creepy. Yeah. Um it's delightful. But but I mean even <laughs> even going back to like like Daredevil or A Quiet Place, I think A Quiet Place does it a little bit better mostly because the assumption is is that she was deaf before this all happened you know yeah. and i i, I mean I yeah i haven't seen a quiet place too so i don't really know how they do it
3: yeah they did yeah like, we'll when,
0: when we way. talked about a quiet place we had this whole conversation because it was like oh is it weird that like now her deafness is like a sewer power and like she was born deaf in the, the universe of the I, movie I, I...
3: I still don't think it is a superpower though. No, it's not.
0: Like, we it, we came to the yeah,
3: her
2: hearing aids become a superpower. Yes, right, but that's her, not the same which thing
3: is as being a freaky that her weird thing.
0: Being yeah. deaf is a superpower cuz it's actually a huge giant drawback for her as a person who wants to stay alive by not Correct. making noise cuz she doesn't know if she's making noise. So like that was the thing is like yes, is it like good for this family that they all already knew sign language? 100% Is it bad that their daughter cannot tell when she's in danger because she can't hear something sneaking up behind her, or she doesn't know if like, you know, there's a hole in her pockets and she's dropping beans on a tile floor? Like, yes, one (laughs) hundred percent. I don't know. I don't know why that's what I went to.
3: (laughs) That's a great one.
1: Even something like I remember when when Unbreakable came out. Um, (laughs) I was thinking of that. Yeah, I, I avoided seeing Unbreakable. Um, I saw it for the first time about four years ago uh, because I avoided watching it because when it came out, everybody and their sister was like, oh, you have the Unbreakable disease. Have you seen Unbreakable? How does it represent you? Mm. You know, like, it's your movie, right? And I was like, no, it's not. Stop it. Um, and I, I finally watched it, and it wasn't as offensive as I presumed it would be, but at the same time, it is also kind of utilizing a lot of outdated stereotypes about, you know, people who are physically disabled being bitter, and of course we're going to turn to villainy, because, like, what else do we have going on? Um, I think there's just, there's a lot of screenwriters that are well-intentioned, but you know just cuz you you know heard heard about how difficult it is to be a disabled person in America like doesn't mean you should be necessarily telling that story So have um, you
0: seen Glass? Now I'm curious about that.
1: I have not. No, I, okay. I when when I heard they were doing a sequel I was like, "Oh no, it's starting again." So <laughs> it'll probably um it'll probably take me another decade before I get to that one, but I'm sure I will eventually.
0: Yeah, I just I I'm curious just because of the the way that M Night Shyamalan in those movies like operates, you know, like people were like, "Oh, this split movie is offensive because, you know, DID and everything." And then it's like, "Yeah, but like this we're not act like the 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 kind of joke or twist in Split, I guess, is that like he doesn't have DID. He's like a comic book supervillain, like, you know. Yeah. And it's I... it's a person yeah. who doesn't quite understand what she's dealing with who misdiagnoses. And then Glass is is such a twist on what you might expect it to be. And, you know, allegiances are tested and true motivations are, you know, revealed. And so I just thought it would be interesting to see how you would react to what they do with his, his character, Mr. Glass's character in that.
1: Yeah. Not, not to get in the weeds on on Shyamalan, but I did, I did recently rewatch the village and I, I live tweeted it and I talked a lot about how that movie employed blindness and, um, mental disabilities and mm-hmm. I, I tend to be the the one like defender of the village um that was before i saw old and i was like should i have defended the village so <laughs> i don't know um uh, but but i i think that that movie while again falling into a lot of the same traps i mean it's all about context i think with disability narratives and that's why i think it's so easy for people to fall into making bad movies because there's so much context that goes into what you're presenting and how you're shooting something and how you're, you're, you're filming, uh, and how you're prioritizing characters that like, it's really easy to go in with like a good concept and then just completely upend it with something really, really. Dumb.
2: <laughs> yeah. And, and accessibility and disability is like such an afterthought in American life, which is, pretty shocking considering that what 20% of the population has one or more disabilities or disabled one in conditions. four. One in four people. It's one in twenty five okay, twenty-five percent at this point. Um or at least I don't know if that's recognized now. Um I mean it's just it is amazing to me because it's also um it is also a minority that anybody could join at any time and i don't like using the word minority um per se but just say
0: demographic
2: sure a a demographic that um anybody could could experience at any time and most people don't even consider mental health diagnoses to be disabilities which is something i encounter all the time in my work Uh, and i constantly have to explain like I am not medicalizing your situation. I'm just trying to uh, get the student the support that they need and that they want. Um, So yeah, it it is, it is kind of tricky. Um,
1: Well, there's, there's so many traps. I think that, and, and you know, CODA is one of those that still also subscribes to a lot of outdated elements predominantly. I mean, one in four people have a disability. This this movie is a white family. Um, and I think that that's probably the biggest thing that I always kind of cringe at at this point, because I, I tend to get a lot of in my day job emails about, you know, oh, we'd love for you to write about this. This person is disabled. And every picture I look at tends to be it's, it's a white person. Um, it used to be white male. We're slowly opening the door up to white females but it's still still white people um and it's it's why I tend to give some praise and the people are gonna be shocked when I reference this movie but when Kevin Smith did the Jay and Silent Bob sequel that I think I was the only one who saw it um <laughs> I was the only one to bring up the fact that he cast a um deaf actress who was also black and that was a huge thing for me to see because black people with deafness or disabilities are not shown on screen you know disability still is very much a white man's game and that's kind of what I want to see more and as much as I love CODA I'm also kind of like where where are my stories about you know Asian physically disabled people or, you know,
0: I feel like the the reason that that is the case is because when you're making a movie, you are probably thinking about like the the barriers that you're putting onto a character and what you're going to have yeah. to address during it. And so this is going to sound terrible. And I'm in no way saying that, like, it's good that they're not doing it because this would happen. I'm saying that <laughs> this is probably what they're thinking of. And they just need to, like, grow up and just learn to take a little bit more time. But they're, like, looking at this movie and they're like, all right, so these people can't hear. That's a that's a barrier. We're going to address that in the movie. Now, if we were to make them black, then we'd also have to deal with racism. And that's mm-hmm. going to take away from everything else we want to do because now we're going to have... Because if we don't talk about racism, people are going to yell at us for not talking about racism. You know, and then if we do that, like, oh, should one of them... Uh, you know should one of them be gay maybe like oh you know but if we do that then we're gonna have to like put in some homophobia too and so they're just looking at it as like complications that they're gonna have to deal with they're not thinking about like creating like a demographically sound character base for their film they're just thinking about it in terms of like what is the game of the movie and what are we gonna have to do if we make these characters as diverse as the world is
1: well, something else to, to take into consideration. I mean, you know, I've talked to a lot of, of minority writers and, and creators, and, you know, I, I never say that the disability fight is the same as being Black in America or any of that. It's analogous. It is not the same. Um, but, but they'll be the first to say, like, the issues that you guys are bringing up with disability representation are stuff that we were talking about with regards to Black representation or representation of women. And I feel like all film movements are cyclical, you know, we just repeat the same problems over and over again. And, you know, it took a long time for meet for Hollywood to allow black women leads to allow, you know, Asian leads, as we're, we're seeing with, with Shang-Chi coming up, you know? So I think that it's probably going to, we're going to go down the same path, you know, eventually we're going to get more disabled leads of color, but it's going to take, there being far more creatives behind the camera to kind of make that happen. I think of Jenny gold's documentary *Cinemability*, which is a great starter doc. If you want to find out about the history of disability in this, in in entertainment uh, spoiler alert, it's all bad. Uh, But, but um, they interview William H. Macy and he says that he was talking about writing a script and somebody at Jenny gold asked him why he didn't include disabled people. And he said, you know, he's all I feel really stupid saying this, but I just didn't think of it. I thought of someone that looked like me. And that's, I think, the sad fact of having so many creators who are not disabled telling these stories is that they can't think past themselves.
0: Well, also, even Mm -hmm. if they can't, like, you know, I used to write, I say used to, because I haven't done it in like a year. And I'm not gonna lie to you people. But like, I I let someone read a story of mine once and they're like, well, you're, you know, your, your protagonist is like a white cishet male. And I looked at them and I was like, yeah, I'm like, I'm 25 (laughs) years old. Who would you like me to write a bit? Like, I don't have the time to like go out and like, you know, follow a community around or anything like, and even if I did, do you, is it really, do you want me to do this? Like, you know, who do you think I would be most comfortable writing as? And if you were to read a book that I wrote that had a different kind of character in it, would you feel comfortable knowing that I'd written them? And they were like, okay, that's a point. That's a good point. I was like, all right, thank you. Like, (laughs) It's just, it. it is that kind of thing or like, I just, I don't, I don't know that I'd feel comfortable attempting to do that. I read a book written, I've read, I've read many books written by men who are writing as women in their books. And it always to me is like, you know, I'm reading it and I'm like, all right, this is now also a tightrope walk in addition to being, you know, a novel about, you know, a girl who's a clone who's trying to prove her humanity to her, <laughs> you know, school in the English countryside, you know, because like, if this guy fucks up hard... You know, there's Twitter accounts that will rip this book apart.
2: If it makes you feel any better, Brian, every character that I've ever written from a creative perspective is like a white Jewish girl from Long Island. Like,
0: all I I know. This is the thing. I could could write different white men. Like, that's fine. It doesn't have (laughs) to be a guy who grew up in, like, the mid-Atlantic states. Like, I could do, I could probably convincingly do a Texan as well. But, like... Just outside of that, I'm just that's like first. If I ever tried, I would probably have to like commit ritual suicide to atone for it. Like, that's well, just, I, I think... it's like too close to minstrelly. I minst- minstrel,
2: menstruating,
0: <laughs> no, minstrel three, minstrelsy, you know?
2: minstrelsy.
0: Yes, thank you. I couldn't think of how to turn the term minstrel into an adjective, apparently. But yeah, it's just like, no one wants that. Like, we shouldn't want that. What we should want is what you were saying, Kristen, which is just to have those people have access to the space so they can tell those stories. Because that's the best kind of, of um, what's the word I'm looking for? Representation that, that is that is available to us, is to actually get the <laughs> get the truth from the people who live it. Well,
3: that's that's what the choir teacher is asking ruby right is you know there's there's a lot of pretty voices but not all of them have something to say and you know what, what what makes you different and you know different could be that you're a really extraordinary writer right that could be different right or you could have a perspective that is unique um things of that nature uh maybe you're you know your upbringing was different or whatever you know and and this gets dangerously close to kind of that thing that we were talking about though where it's like oh your disability is your superpower right, right. And it's like that's that's not exactly what what he's saying but it gets close to that in a way that's kind of sticky and and icky and makes people go oh i have to have something wrong with me to like you know, be right. a writer, and it's like, no, that's not what we're saying. It's that whole like what we're tap saying, into
0: your pain, you know. Oh, Kirk not yeah. take you know medicine because he didn't want to staunch his genius or whatever. Mm. You know, I had sure. friends who, who legitimately were prescribed lithium who didn't want to take it because they were like, it's not gonna make me my authentic self. And I was like, you're going to die in four months if you don't start taking your fucking lithium, so maybe you should take your fucking lithium. <laughs> Anyway, yeah. uh, if you are listening to this, you know who you are. <laughs> I'm very <laughs> glad you're still around. Um, no, I, it, it is. I liked. I, and one of the things I said when I was giving my nutshell thoughts was that uh, Mr. V, as he is told in the, or called by the people in the movie who know that they can't navigate his name. Um, he he is really good at not falling into a lot of the traps of the teacher that you would usually see in a movie like this. He's not overly aggressive He is understanding and but we'll put his foot down to the point that he knows it's like a productive thing to do. Yep. But, you know, when he learns when he learns new information, he realizes like, all right, I like we can grant a little leeway here. Like this kid is clearly going through some stuff. And I like that he pinpoints that she is still operating at a level removed from her true self, because as she said, when she first went to school, she talked different because she'd been socialized in an environment with people who you know didn't speak full verbal english and so she she sounded like a deaf person and he can kind of key into the fact that that recovering from that and the social ostracization she'd received from that made her a timid soul but like he points out like these songs do not require timidity these songs need to be belted out and i don't need you to like you know Cry, Goodwill Hunting style to realize you know that it's not your fault. I need you to at least (laughs) tap into like the primal animal that all the other people don't have an issue tapping into because they've never had to retreat from social life in order to feel you know safe.
3: Well, it's interesting because he mentions you know his fire back to her that you know she was bullied for for talking funny is oh yeah. You, you think you're the only one and it's like oh oh yeah you know it's one of those situations where it's like oh okay yeah i i guess he can share a perspective in that way of like yeah this it's not always easy having a strong accent or things of that nature um it, it kind of goes back to um you know i i think guillermo del toro uh you know i i did not like the fish fucking movie but um uh-huh. you know I, I love him as the director and as a person and he mentioned that uh you know he got some criticism for winning a bunch of awards during his run and one of the kind of common criticisms was that he was just another white male director and he was like i'm fucking not white and it drives me crazy that people even consider me white because, you know, he takes himself out of the situation where he's kind of found a, a, a niche and a, a very healthy one where he's attached to 15,000 things, you know, according to IMDb all the time.
0: But <laughs> Oh, yeah. His, you know, his whole like, like life philosophy appears to be say yes to everything because 90% of it's not going to happen anyway sure which is uh, really smart actually he
3: he he told the sad story of like the fact that he went to this uh i guess it was like an upscale kind of museum or not museum but like art store and he was walking around there and they called the cops on him and were like why are you in here like and he was like 'cause I want to fucking buy some of this stuff. Like what do, what are we talking about?
0: Supplies to draw my nightmares.
3: <laughs> yeah, basically. And so, you know, he he was like, I I definitely see that people outside of the Hollywood community treat me differently. And it's not because I'm white, you know, it's because I look the way that I look and I talk the way that I talk and all of these things. And it's 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 not so much like a secret um, minority complex or anything like that. It's just we become normalized seeing someone like like even like Mr. V. Right. Seeing a Latino on screen is no longer extraordinary, you know, Um, but it used to be. It wasn't that long ago, you know, before they weren't leading men or women or anything in between. Um,
0: Yeah, they got played by Italians.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. Yeah, it's true. Different things. Well, I mean that that still even happens with like British people playing or you know, uh, Americans playing British people and you know, people getting up in arms about I think that. Well,
0: oh, I think there's a big difference between a British person playing an American person and an Italian playing a Mexican, Mexican
1: <laughs> she or she a Native playing American playing a native Hawaiian. Or,
0: yes. Mm. God
3: God God rest her soul.
0: <laughs> but she was a quarter <laughs> Swedish, so <laughs>
3: Yeah, but no, it's it's interesting to think about you know how Ruby and Mister V can uh, can relate to each other in in some ways. I also um, love the no, point I, I in... oh
0: go ahead. I, I
3: I also love that. Like his pushback is that oh you think you're busy and he's like I have a fucking child. Like I I got other shit going on in my own life and it's like. And on top of that, he's clearly not charging Ruby, right? And so it's like, I'm giving you one-on-one lessons. I'm giving you time out of my day. I have a schedule that I have to try and stay to. And you're fucking this up. And if you want this, you want it. And let's go make it happen. But if you don't want this, then this can end real quick you know and so i i like that his his firmness not only does it get it through to her but it also makes her realize like how much she actually enjoys this and when it's threatened how much she'll kind of fight for it in certain
0: ways and, and you, i like I, that when he um well, there's two things I, I wanted to bring up well, first of all he asks her how it feels to sing and she has to explain it in sign language
3: yeah i like i thought that was beautiful which is
0: not subtitled which was really nice mm -hmm. um and uh the other thing is I, i love that there's a point where he says to her like you're not the only thing in my life like i have other stuff going on that you have no idea of and it was the first time you got the angle on the room that showed that like there was all this little kid stuff
1: Mm -hmm. I love the way that's filmed. To be like, was that always there?
0: Right. I was just like, "Uh, I don't remember seeing that. And the funny thing is that he has this toy that is my, well, like my daughter has the same toy. And it's um, (laughs) my least favorite of all of her toys because it's the thing that she has that I dislike the most, but that she likes the most. So like there's toys that she has that I hate, but she also seems to hate, which is great. But this is the one that's in the center of that Venn diagram. It's this little dog. that is made completely of plastic and its back is a xylophone. And it is impractical, it is incredibly loud, and she loves it, and she carries it everywhere.
3: I assume this dog is a, is a sausage dog?
0: Yeah, it's it's kind of built like a sausage dog, yeah. Okay. It's like not right. fully a dachshund. It's it's just like, you know, generic cartoony dog, but it's definitely of a dachshund-like family. Okay. And it's, its that, I was thinking wheels, it would be... so you can pull it around <laughs> yeah. on its wheel feet. Ugh, anyway... <laughs> I saw that and I was like, all right. And it
3: doesn't fall over easy. No, it does not. <laughs> yeah.
0: Cool. Anyway, so I saw that <laughs> and I was like, hey, that's this girl's probably about the age that my daughter is. And she, in fact, does appear to be.
2: <laughs> Did anybody get um, Mr. Holland's Opus vibes from this movie? Does anybody know that movie? I all?
0: am aware of that movie and I was waiting for it to become that movie. And I don't think that it does, but it, it comes close, I feel. But it I think it definitely
2: the, does in the climax. And, no, and then I still I, liked the climax, but
0: I would disagree with that. Okay. I don't know Argue. exactly why. It would probably take me a while of thinking about it specifically. I, I don't know. Just the fact that when I saw that in Mr. Holland's Opus, I was like, oh, this is cloying as shit. And I think that in this movie it works a lot better. Um
2: I mean, I'm saying it works a lot better, but to me it's the same, it's the same mechanism where so in Mr. Holland's Opus, there's like this. Man, his who, name is Mr. Holland. Thank you. He his dream is to be a, a composer and a musician, and and he gets a job at a high school teaching students. And so the whole trajectory trajectory of the film is that he learns uh, the power of being a teacher and all that kind of stuff, uh, and and what he has done for all his students, and brings them the power of the music. And and the great irony of his life is that his son is born deaf, and how in the world could his son? love the thing that gives him the most amount of life, which is music in all its forms. And so at the end of the film, uh, his students, I don't know, young and old come together to create like to, a farewell, uh,
0: Mr. Chip style. Like hey, kind of, yeah. Here.
2: Like they, they come together to perform his greatest piece of music that he's written. And nobody's ever heard. And his son is like totally moved by it because of the, vibrations so, and, no because it's sensory experience it's, it's worse like than that because like mr him.
0: holland like makes lights to like you know represent the music and then he also sign languages it it's uh, know, that movie gets real i mean, I mean, but I mean but how
2: is that different than what happens in this movie
0: because i think that so that's him trying to connect with his son i think this is her using her and art what's to wrong
2: with that first the of all, fucking
0: everything never connect with your son he what's won't grow up to be a killer if you connect with him alienate but your children creating to harden
2: a, an accessible experience of music for his son i'm not saying that that is like a bad thing i'm just saying that that is the the whole point of that movie was like oh it's so ironic that the this man who loves music has a child that can't be who he wants it to be and well so that's
0: funny because one of the things i was most worried about in this movie is that like in the 15 or 30 second spots that i kept seeing there was always that scene where marley matlin's like you know i i almost said the thing while pretending to sign which is crazy um but that just goes for her performance i suppose she says you know if i was blind would you choose painting because she seems to think that this might be like some level of like teenage rebellion Mm -hmm. but like that's it like that's the only time that that really comes up and i was worried that was going to be like a huge like blow up thing constantly in this movie It's just like you know why can't you do something like you know painting or photography like why does it have to be singing that we can't enjoy and like there's an underlying sadness to that fact but it doesn't feel like that's the primary tension the primary tension is that they need their daughter with them to operate in the world. Because the world has not made like any accessibility allowances for them.
2: But I do think that the end, which again, does work for me, does have the same beats as the end of Mr. Holland's opus. But I think
0: that the beats are almost entirely aesthetic because like she's basically using, she's singing that song as a means of escaping from her family, not to connect with them because she's already very connected with them. And she begins signing it and seems pointedly to be signing the part where she's explaining like why she's got to go. And so it's not her, you know, it's not Mr. Holland finally like being able to, to reach Cole. Why do I remember his son's name? Um, why Jesus? You know why? Because he fucking he's singing the song "Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful boy," and then he changes boy to Cole, and it always annoyed the shit out of oh me. Oh my
2: god, it stuck in your brain for yes, twenty years,
0: like a splinter. It's been more than twenty years, probably, <laughs> since I've seen I mean, that movie.
2: I think it came out like ninety four. Yeah,
0: I probably saw it around then. To be completely honest, but anyway. It's it just feels like it's her liberation and finally able to explain to her parents exactly what she feels and how she's got to leave and them seeing her up there and seeing just the way her posture changes. And then, you know, the lyrics of the song and everything. I think that there is a thematic difference that makes the scene more they're powerful finally more connecting
2: over a, a but the connection that is not shared
0: no the connection is just the ability to communicate it's not like oh i finally understand why this means so much to you and how powerful it is it's okay right she's got to go like <laughs> it's the thing that allows them to cut the the cord and to to reach out and begin to let her be independent and for them to find their independence from her and their their place in the world without having to rely on her her the, the children. And there's a reason, I think, that then shows the entire summer of them together. And they've got, you know, a deckhand who is not great at being a deckhand, but at least speaks in sign language. So, you know, they've got that going for them. And, like, the mom at a farmer's market, you know, finally being able to talk with the girls who are fish packers, like... Yeah, I think that I think that it's different. Does anyone else have an opinion on this who has seen Mr. Holland's opus? I can't remember that fucking movie.
1: <laughs> I've never seen it. I just know that it was a joke that a lot of people just put tactic at the end of things in the 90s. And I was supposed to get it, but I didn't. I didn't see it.
0: That movie, I, I will say I remember is, too much of that movie. I remember the name of the the the, the high school girl or the college girl that he has a like, emotional affair with. Yes.
2: It's fucking Rowena. Rowena. Okay, I will say what a this name. movie. I saw this movie when I was 14, and I truly still feel this way. It is one of the most depressing movies I've ever seen in my life. I first saw it during like a very bad depressive episode I was having. Um, problem (laughs) right but also this movie's about a man who like try as he might doesn't really achieve his dreams (laughs) and like (laughs) he accepts a consolation instead. at least that's how i read it i still kind of read it read it that way because i'm very um right because it's not not even like a person
0: but it's not even like a it's a wonderful life thing like where you know he's just not really been understanding how good he's got it you know he's got he, he has this like image but he should re- like mr Hans office is like at the end of the day he's not entirely wrong
2: for I being fucking depressed about his life yeah
0: his right, small
2: like- little shitty life
0: Can I watch this
2: movie? Is this a thing
0: that I should get in on? Yes, go watch it and then we'll bring you back. I feel like you you guys
2: are recommending this in a way. (laughs) No, I don't think this is a great movie. Uh, But I think Coda is like a better version of this in the sense that it has like similar themes about... um, See, my issue is that Mr. Holland's opus is
0: so bad that I feel like even calling a movie a better version of it feels like not a good thing like there's well, just I mean, no way for, it's
2: like well this is a similar. hate crime but
0: it's not as bad of a hate crime as this other hate crime and it's like yeah but have, you know this, this is still movie, coming mr. from Hans a was not
2: a hate crime it's just a not great movie <laughs> it's not freddie got fingered it's like <laughs> it's fine it's, it's
0: not is it wait is mr holland's opus friggin solid
2: it's not friggin solid it's friggin not even almost
0: good okay okay just making sure. See, to me, Mr. Holland's Opus is is like, oh, the kid's deafness is only in relation to Mr. Holland and his yes. opus, you know. Yes. And in this, it's like this feels like a human drama that just so happens to take place in a family, you know, that where the adults are deaf.
1: To, to settle to settle the debate, I don't even know if I'm settling the <laughs> this debate. Will this will never be settled. This is a blood movie. feud. <laughs> um, I mean, here's the thing: both this movie, especially. Definitely falls into the, the term that I, I go around saying, and I've, it's always weird to hear this t- term brought back to me from people who have used it. The, able-bodied, porn? the, the able-bodied buffer, which uh. is the concept of telling a disabled narrative through a, a non-disabled lens under this belief that audiences are not going to be able to understand anybody that's not them, mm. uh, which is why you often get a lot of like movies where the disabled character is disabled late in life, So that we can show scenes of like, he was once like you. Until fate struck him down uh, with this horrible thing called disability. Um, usually, it's a white guy who's done, who's like become disabled by doing like rich white disabled shit, like parasailing or something. Um, but but
0: there was movie, a movie like that, wasn't there, with like Amelia Clark and the guy is like, yeah, I want to die because I'm it, in a wheelchair it's now. It's
1: me before you. It's it, it's an abortion of a film, and I hate it. Um, <laughs> Jesus but I, Christ. I bring it up a lot. Um, but uh, but it's similar. Like this movie, I don't think does that 150 percent you know it's not it's not breathe um with it you know where it's more of like let me show you the horrors of this disabled person you know through through my lens but it's still kind of there you know I think that that Sion Heater does a does a really good job of making Coda an ensemble even though it is Ruby's story you still get about equal time i'd say with with everybody else so it doesn't fall into that able body buffer trap but it could depending on like just a little bit it, it almost hits there so i i doesn't sound like a mr holland's opus but again i've never seen that so i could be wrong
0: <laughs> well let's let's pause I mean, the podcast cool you can go see mr holland's opus and then we can finish up
2: has anybody seen the French film that Coda is based on? Because I, I didn't not. even know it existed. No, in- no I
0: literally found I out about it when we started recording this podcast.
2: I presumed I found- it was based on a YA novel or something. I, I thought it was. I found out about it like two weeks ago, and I said the last
1: time I was told about a French film about disability that was being remade, it was called The Upside, and I was angry about it for for six months. So I, I probably is that The Untouchables or yeah. Like yes, whatever. Yeah. Okay. Which I got told that the French version of Coda does actually have hearing actors playing the deaf characters, and the Marley mom Marley looks Matlin, exactly
0: like Marley Matlin.
1: Yeah, when Marley Matlin came on the the film, she said uh, they o- originally only wanted her as the the only deaf character, and she said if if you don't have the family played by deaf people, I'm leaving. And so they hired deaf actors. So, but the French film has all hearing people.
0: What's weird though is that. I feel like if if the if the, the and this is all about how much this industry sucks. If they had been played by hearing actors, there'd be a shit ton of awards to conversation. Mm. And meanwhile like they're played by people who are actually deaf and, you know, we're, look, we're just look. like it's just not going to again. This is why the industry sucks.
3: We don't we live, know
2: that. It's not we, it's Oscar season yet. Yeah. We it's live in Oscar an age
3: season. We live in an age where Minari grandma won an award. That okay? is true. So and things are getting so, better.
0: You know, you know, it, Cora was that. excited when she learned about that. I can,
1: if we want to, if we want to talk Oscars, like I can see a narrative being built here, considering Marley Matlin was the first, oh, yeah. and as of right now, still the only deaf or disabled uh, deaf performer to have won an Oscar. She's not the only disabled performer. Um, but, but so I could see them kind of being like, this could undo if, you know, five decades of ableism, you know, uh, until, until the version of green book or something comes along. Um, and then we, we undo all this progress.
3: So, <laughs> oh no,
1: I mean, I can see it, I can see it happening. And I mean, honestly, I've, I've been very vocal about last year's Oscars, um, and how that's,
2: Fucking octopus ruined. Oh, fuck that fucking octopus. Exactly.
4: Okay, Why
0: wait a the second.
2: That should have been Crip Camps movie. I'm sorry. Exactly. What,
0: what is the, what? <laughs> the,
2: the fucking <laughs> octopus. The octopus. My, he my doesn't, my doesn't octopus.
3: know anything. Man. He doesn't know anything about the, no, he doesn't know anything about okay, the Oscars. So he doesn't man watch it. wanted them. a
2: fucking octopus and he won an Oscar
0: for wanting to fuck an gruel- octopus.
2: Yes. Yes. But the, here's the thing the octopus here's dies, th- spoiler alert. From getting fucked. The octopus die
1: no no like like this is not
2: Mr. hands okay this is yeah. like a, a man who made a documentary about a fucking octopus that he was like romanticizing
0: he to, was sexually ex- obsessed with an octopus
2: not literally I mean, but it's you like you can subtextual. say it's not
1: sexual but it's sexual like, i mean yeah it's erotic i mean, I I mean it's
0: get I need someone right now to tell me. is Are we literally saying he wanted to have sex with an octopus, or is this like when my shitty friends are like, I want to have sex with this pizza, it's so good?
2: Subtext. Okay. I think he wanted to have sex with the octopus. I mean... He loved this <laughs> octopus, let's just say. Yeah. Not enough though
1: to save its life at the end. How did, uh, what did he...
0: How did he... How did he have the opportunity to save the octopus's life? Okay,
1: because of the movie is like (laughs) because like he's watching the octopus live its octopus life in the wild he's like i can't interfere with what is happening to this octopus even though i'm like following it around and filming it and profiting off its life and then like nature shit happens and the octopus dies and he's like i could save it but that would require me interfering and it dies um but then he won an Oscar, so like it's life meant
2: something i guess Yeah, this movie sucked and I I was was so boring and I fell asleep.
0: Okay, so I, now that we, now that I have to know about that, now that that's in my brain forever, just like Rowena and beautiful, 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 beautiful (laughs) Cole.
4: It's not,
1: I don't know if it's as compelling as Mr. Holland's opus, but.
0: Because you've seen the man who wants to fuck an octopus, but you have not seen the man who makes a, a laser light show to show his son the beauty of music. Um, but why are we talking about this octopus movie? Because so, okay, it ruined so had, something? Because it
1: won, it won Best Documentary over Crip Camp, which was the, the documentary about um, Camp Jeanette, which was a camp for people with disabilities. And these, these people who attended this camp eventually ended up creating the disability rights movement in the 1970s. Um, and it should have won... It's directed by a, a disabled filmmaker, um, and they made a big deal about how it was the first time in the Oscars history they built a ramp on the stage. Um, so they were violating federal law since the 20s. Um, well, maybe not the 20s. Okay, since the 90s. Um, but but the point is, is considering <laughs> that last year we came so close to winning an Oscar as a you know part of the disabled community, to the point that they had Marley Matlin do the award because like. You know, I guess. I guess the the deaf winner can only show up when there's a disabled movie being nominated. Which,
2: so by the way, so this is one Mar- of
0: those things where they were like so sure that it was going to win that they like built the thing around it.
2: I don't think they were that I don't think sure. They were sure it's no, a, it's, it's legally they had.
0: It's to. optics. No, no, I mean the Marley Matlin choice. Yeah, I think yeah. it was. It was a good look for that. Like they, they kind of like, had to because that. They did that to another movie, didn't it? Wasn't that a big thing at the Oscars? As everyone was like, "Oh, gonna this going to be
2: the, um, the Anthony Hopkins." Like, yeah, Chadwick they hoped Boseman at the thing. end that Best Actor was going to go to Chadwick Boseman. Oh, um,
0: right, and that's why it was like the last thing of the night, and yeah. instead it went to Anthony Hopkins.
2: Yeah, It wasn't but there because Mar- he's like eighty-one.
0: Yeah,
1: but Marley Matlin, uh, you know, has said that she asks every year for the Academy Awards to invite her to present because she is an Oscar winner. And they told her, "No, you're not in a movie. You have to be on everybody's lips. Like people have to be talking about you. You're not relevant." Um, and then they bring her on to present because they assume that you know the disabled movie is going to win. Um, so it was a bit, it was a bit upsetting. But I feel like we're getting closer to another win. So I would love Coda to maybe finally kind of tip that back uh, into getting better with the representation, but, you know, we've been wrong about how far the Academy has (laughs)
4: progressed.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I really don't think that, I, hmm, I really think Crip Camp should have won. I was screaming that for a year before the Oscars, but by that point, it was starting to get kind of clear that the octopus movie was was getting a lot of i don't know like sleeper buzz or whatever word of mouth i
0: wanted a fucking octopus
2: i mean it was because it was a fucking netflix movie during a pandemic year and everybody happened to see it and also like oscar voters Or
3: Camp was a netflix movie oh that's true too i don't know
1: i can tell you i mean a lot of what i i heard from people in the, the oscar community so they they were charmed by the octopus movie, Oh you know. Um, it was it was cute. It was you know, and I think there's still this stigma, and I think Coda, unfortunately, is starting to fall into that trap because of so many decades of 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 disability and deaf representation being inspirational or mm-hmm. you know, edutainment um, or kind of like a message mm-hmm. movie. I think there's still this stigma, unfortunately, that this movie is like the equivalent of eating your vegetables, you know? Uh-huh. And
3: It's going to take work.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Like you have to, it's going to preach to you and tell you that you're a shitty person or something. Um, and, and I think that that's going to take some time to get people to stop thinking that way. And I, and I hope it's sooner rather than later, um, because these are the movies that, at least people with disabilities want to see, you know, less million dollar babies um, and more, more of this. Uh, Yeah. Don't get me started on Clint in that movie. Um, But, but I I think that that's unfortunately the trap that audiences are still that, that part of that ableist part of their brain is still kind of working at like, Oh, the movie about the deaf family, like it's going to be depressing or it's going to make me feel bad. Like I'm not going to see that. Mm -hmm
0: yeah I, I, I mean but i, think, I just oh, think this I guy wanted to fuck an octopus and i feel like at the end of the day if i if i'm a busy you know oscar voter and i you know have like waited till the last day to see the documentaries because let's face it they're the documentaries I'm gonna, I'm gonna watch this guy want to fuck an octopus what no
2: <laughs> this movie sucked see, that's the is thing is, like is i wouldn't no.
0: notice that or i wouldn't realize that until i'd already watched it because you people were here screaming at me about a man who wants to fuck an octopus and I'm a broken human being, and so I would watch that because I am attracted to psychosis.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's not what you think. It really is just a boring movie about some man who thinks nature is cool. It's not. It's not like it wishes it was a movie about a man wanting to fuck an octopus, <laughs> basically. But it's all it's all in there in the subtext. I mean, this man has an erotic obsession. <laughs>
0: with this octopus okay but see He's all right once again it. you're making it sound awesome you just use the word erotic if, ex- obsession if with you're an octopus do
2: a file okay
1: it sure. wishes it was the it wishes it was the fish fucking movie but it's not but it also wants to be like arty
0: see the so problem is more i like... found the fish fucking movie to be just awful and so but i'm I hate still the
2: fish fuck movie
0: I would you people <laughs> of Earth, if you're listening to this, go listen to our episode about uh, that fish fucking movie, which I literally cannot remember the name of. The Shape of Water. That's I also
2: called the <laughs> fish movie. I fuck keep trying
1: to figure out what the title of that movie is?
0: That's right. I can
2: never I can, remember. I had, what the I title had to look it up. <laughs> I can never remember, and I just called it the fish fuck.
0: I was like going to say like the Life Aquatic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah the the shape of water which is bruce lee uh told us you know water takes the shape of whatever it's in be like water um <laughs>
2: so do farts
0: it goes into a cup it becomes the cup um be like water my <laughs> friends uh but yeah what i was gonna say is that movie was terrible um that movie also involved a, a deaf person um mm. which i feel like is not well, the yeah. reason we keep bringing it up i think somehow <laughs> no absolutely not. That's not why.
2: But, it, but it's about a hearing woman who's playing a deaf woman.
3: Right.
0: And I, yes. I brought it so, up
3: because of Guillermo del Toro.
0: Yes. You I did. mean, I,
1: I not to, to give the I mean, I've seen The Shape of Water once and I've never really had the inclination to watch it again, which I think says a lot. But at the time, I remember saying that really the only elements that I thought were new and unique was the fact that Sally Hawkins' character is allowed to be sexual, which, again, is still very um, taboo with, with disabled uh, with disabled women, especially. Like, we are supposed to be chaste, happy, uh, you know, innocents uh, who don't think of things like that. Um, but also, it's a pretty stark portrayal of ableist, tinged, like, sexual harassment, which I was like, I don't know if that's the takeaway that you want your movie to be like, thank you for showing how disabled and deaf women are harassed on the daily by dudes who think they're doing them a favor. Um, so well, also he's me.
0: fucking a fish that I'm almost positive does not have the mental capacity to consent. <laughs> not to once again, that's go, valid, listen,
4: that's valid.
0: go listen to our episode to to hear <laughs> me have a mental breakdown over this, but I legit thought that that movie was going to be about her teaching the fish sign language so they could have full-on conversations and fall in love for real and instead she just teaches it to say eggs so that she knows when it's hungry and then she gets plowed by it anyway (laughs) (laughs) mr Alan's
1: opus in the shape of water two movies i did not know that i needed to revisit or see for the first time but
2: That's a double feature right there. Yeah. I I do not need to revisit Shape of
0: Water. Let's do a triple bill of Coda, (laughs) Mr. Holland's Opus, and The Shape of Water. And then, if anyone has time left over, we can watch The Tribe. (laughs) What is The Tribe? (laughs) The Tribe is the movie about the the deaf school. Yep. It's got no audible dialogue.
2: Yes. Yes. I think I thought you were talking about. um, Oh my God. It's another movie. That movie literally
0: fucks. Oh, you no, mean- I'm
2: thinking of the uh, Dorfman's tribe, which also Dorf's star- tribe. Thank you, thank you. Also starring uh, Richard Dreyfus. Yes, as yeah that yeah. Uh, why the '90s, which was also
0: based like, off like of a French movie, wasn't in- it? Or no, I'm thinking of Jungle to Jungle.
2: Well, I was just going to say, my husband and I rewatched Jungle to Jungle recently, and that is... What the fuck
0: is Jungle to Jungle? That's when Tim Allen (laughs) finds out that he's got a son in the Amazon rainforest because his wife left him to go study indigenous tribes or something. Yeah,
2: so the kid is like basically... Uh, i don't really understand why yeah. in the 90s we were really
1: fascinated with white people yes i was just saying indigenous tribes i was just gonna
2: say the same thing like why is that a 90s crippendorf tribe,
0: jungle to jungle yes. george of the jungle probably oh, yeah. a tarzan george in the jungle
2: makes george of the jungle makes
1: sense because at least that's a white woman going to the jungle and like Kind of no. Wait, no. Maybe it's the same movie. Um, I just feel like the the other two movies were more about like we're just gonna do this in suburbia because going actually going to the jungle is not really for us.
0: Well, yeah, because George the Jungle goes to New York. Like that's yes,
2: that's
4: true. Yeah, okay, so
0: my point.
2: Yeah, I know yeah. you're right. But what about Tarzan the Disney film?
0: No, he stays in the fucking jungle, right?
2: No, but then there's also a. Uh, isn't there another Tarzan where he leaves? <laughs> That's are you talking about the modern day one from 2016? Yeah, no, not, I'm pretty no, sure he No, stays not there a, there too. it's not a Disney one. It's the um live action one from the m- late With 90s. With Casper Van Dien? I I don't know. I just I am, remember seeing it.
0: Tarzan, I am positive at some point went to like London, you know, and yeah,
2: like Yeah, I just I know that
1: the modern the one they did a couple years ago, it starts in England and then they Oh, no, no, no. You know world. what I'm
2: thinking of? It's a it's a Mowgli movie where Mowgli grows up and goes somewhere else.
1: Both characters were written by white
2: colonizing men. So they're essentially the same movie.
0: Just like John Carter of Mars. uh,
2: What is it called? It's the Jungle Book, but it's like where Mowgli grows up and he falls in love with some white girl. Like the Jungle Book, like not the legend continues or something. Like it's it's something like that where there's a colon. Yes. And that's like another, it's like another one.
0: I just uh, I just googled the term "adult Mowgli movie" and now I'm afraid to look at my Google results.
2: Not Mogul Mowgli. I I don't know. That There's would so be much. a movie right there, Mogul Mowgli. Like it's Mowgli, <laughs> Mowgli became, the Mogul. Like, you no, that's us? a movie. That, that's a real title coming out. It's a. Uh, it's a. Uh, oh my god, what's his name? All right, uh, okay, Hamilton.
0: Wait. Nope, nope. Because I think I found it. It's the 1994 movie. It's called The Jungle Book, and it says many years later, Mowgli, now an adult, discovers Monkey City.
2: Yes, that's is that,
0: it. Is that what we're talking about?
2: Yes, if it is, just another one where where you take this trope of an indigenous person or somebody who's like been living in a jungle, and then you bring them to like civilization and what hijinks ensue.
0: You know, what was funny is so speaking of like movies where like a child character grows up and like is living in the city and then like has to go back. uh, My ex-wife put on Christopher Robin for our, at the time, four-year-old daughter because she didn't realize that it wasn't like a Winnie the Pooh movie. It was like a depressed Ewan McGregor has to go back to the hundred acre wood movie. You want to guess if my daughter was into that?
2: I'm, I'm oh, she's say- your daughter. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's that's the, as soon as I said it, I was like, actually.
2: <laughs> so your daughter I, I, loved
1: Minari. She did. I, I will say, I will say though, that if we're talking about Christopher Robin and disability representation, um, that movie totally erases actual disabled people because uh AA Milne's daughter uh, actually did have a disability. So when they create the character for the the movie they make her able-bodied how do you know
2: what her disability was
1: oh gosh i don't know if she had spina bifida or cerebral palsy Mm. it was definitely a physical disability um and yeah i was i said then a bunch of people on twitter tried to shit talk me and be like but it's about christopher robin the fictional character and i was like Look like you, it's based on A.A. Milne's life. He had a real disabled daughter. This movie gives Christopher Robin a daughter. Turn it into a boy, and I won't have a problem with it.
0: Mm. I would and agree Disney. with that.
2: It would have pissed me <laughs> off too. It would have yeah. that would have bothered me.
1: That that tends to be the I mean, as we're talking about Coda and the need to inject more disability into movies just in general. I do love that with all the nostalgic reboots that we have going on that the few movies that like actually had disabled people in the past quote-unquote um that's usually the first thing that we remove case at not the fantasy island the movie would have been better um, with with the character of tattoo but like <laughs> out of all the things you took out that the disabled
2: guy was the thing you removed really okay
0: yeah that feels wrong <laughs>
2: Yeah, well, it, co- it becomes this question of like, is this spectacle? Like, are we, uh, we, are creators, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> our creators using disability as spectacle? And by removing that, is it actually erasure? I, I mean, I do question that sometimes because I'm like, are you casting this person because they, uh, is, it's not really for representation, it's to, I don't know, have something like novel but is not casting that person then like, like removing that from eyesight as well. I don't know. It's, it's a hard line sometimes or it's a, it's a difficult line to navigate.
0: Yeah. Like, is it better to remove this person who might be offensive or to try to reclaim them in some way?
2: Or like just not even reclaim, but I don't know, offer representation too. Yeah. But some, but that representation has been in many ways, historically, uh, difficult or offensive or painful, but isn't the erasure t- also painful?
0: I mean, I, I would think so, but, you know, who
2: knows. using that as an example, of course, like, um, yeah, I was watching a film today called Blanca Nieves and it's a retelling of, of Snow White and it does feature. Ah, yeah, I love that. It's a great movie. It's, it's really great. Yeah. It's everything. The artist should have been in my opinion. Because um, <laughs> It is a silent film. But there's a there are the characters who play the um, the modern or like the 1920s version of the Seven Dwarfs. They're played by um, uh, men with dwarfism, and mm-hmm. what I thought was really unique about that film is that Snow White falls in love with one of them. <laughs> like you have ne- we have never seen a version of Snow White where she falls in love with uh, one of the you know Seven Dwarfs, and it's very rare f- to see a uh, like an able-bodied person or non-disabled person fall in love with um, a person with a disability on film at large, let alone a person with like uh, who, you know, who is uh, has dwarfism. So I thought that was really unique, but at the same time, if they um, had cast different actors or like different, you know, uh, what I'm saying is like a lot of people with dwarfism end up playing characters on TV who are like semi-magical to some degree. But if you, end up not casting them at all does that mean you're taking away a job from somebody who would have otherwise played that person so i think that I, that just reminded me of what you were saying kristen about removing tattoo and what does that mean
1: yeah it's it means it's a fraught question And i think that every movie is different you know i i definitely remember when um snow white the kristen stewart film came out and the the big discussion about actually CGI able-bodied mm-hmm. regular heighted actors down to play those characters. And in that case, I have, I have a real problem with it when you're actually manipulating somebody to be right. a disabled character, because by that same token, I don't want to hear the excuse that, you know, Oh, well, we can't have a disabled person play this character because nobody's going to buy that. And I always say like, fuck you, we can create, you know, cities that are from lord of the rings we can create dragons and you can shrink down nick frost to be a a dwarf character but you can't do the opposite like that logic doesn't hold
4: water right So
0: my, Um, my only issue with that when you're talking about something like snow white is that like in the in the in the taxonomy of snow white and the seven dwarves are the dwarves not like fey folk kind of creatures
2: they are in. They are. I think traditionally. I mean, in this film, they're they're a troop of
0: like Gimli's son who of are Gloin is like a a magical yes, but yeah. it's
2: it's it, But it's a it's a question like like I said historically or like in the fairy tale. I think the seven dwarves are supposed to be elfish to some degree or just some magical element. Whereas yeah. in this film, which is a a retelling in the 1920s it's a bullfighting troupe of people with dwarfism or like i don't okay, even yeah. know if dwarfism so, but, is but so
0: right like word, yeah but... i was more, i was not referring to blanca Nieves* because i had not seen that but i was more talking about like really and the huntsman like i just that's to the point where it's like i don't even i don't even know you know because like dwar- i don't like just the the way that language works i guess i don't know at what point we started people calling calling people with dwarfism dwarves in a way that wasn't yeah. like mean i guess is the way to put it yeah like, like what is
2: the medicalizing language the, versus the common
1: yeah the co- i mean i think that there's the common parlance for people with who are little i mean it's little person um right. or lp so and that's that tends to be with like fairy tale s- situations i tend to be like what's i i feel like yeah there is that element of like these are magical characters that don't exist in this realm, kind of like gnomes. Um, so it's, it's a weird case now to that same, by that same token, you know, we, they did the other Snow White movie mirror mirror, I think around the same time. And they actually did cast little people to play that type of those types of characters. And I actually thought that was a, you know, decent use of them. Cause they're not like the munchkins from the wizard of oz you mm-hmm. know they actually have like names and agency characterization um but it's still it's again there's so much stickiness i think when it comes to disability um it's why we need more disabled creatives telling those stories because there's so many ways you can kind of get lost and end up doing dumb Look. stuff where you're like crap i didn't
2: know for yeah. something and, like and that disability is not a monolith right like there's so oh, many yeah, different- yeah.
0: Well, for something Stories like that, you know, people. like, oh, you know, we've got a Snow White movie, so, like, let's cast the dwarves, and then it's like, okay, when we're saying dwarf, do we mean, like, mythical, like, you know, cave-dwelling right. fighter people, well, or do we mean, like, shorter-than-average, you know, medically? And the
1: sad fact, too, is is many little people will tell you, like, they often are usually only asked to play like those types of
0: right so then that's that's the other issue is like all right so uh we're playing we're doing snow white so everyone you know three foot five and under like come and help us out and like you know it's the same thing i think whenever i think of like hey it's christmas time you know all all little people actors like get ready because there's gonna be a santa claus movie and we're gonna want you to be are gonna be watching. I was gonna say to- it's
1: why I love it's why I love that scene in Elf with Peter Dinklage, yeah. where the whole concept is just strong, like buddy. beating the crap out of this guy who's like, I mean, yes, yes, buddy, the elf does not know about things like ableism and you know disability representation, but at the same time, I was like, I love that. We're totally like, you know what? He's still kind of a dick for acting that
0: way. But the thing is that Buddy has legitimate reason to believe that he could, in fact, sure. be an elf. But so that's it's...
1: why much like Krippendorf's tribe. You you learn about you learn about the culture that you're going to before you go in there and stick your foot in your Unfortunately, mouth. Unfortunately,
0: no what one I'm told Buddy is, that. But exactly. Yeah. <laughs>
1: somebody Santa should have handed Buddy the elf a book about like ways to not be offensive to people because trust me him ma- making an ableist statement is you know well that's, that's the name. least of his problems he could have made some like a really bad statement with anybody else
0: <laughs> santa is obsessed with right and wrong so you think he would have given buddy like a small primer on like how to operate in society in a morally good him, way
1: he just told him about where the best coffee in new york was and to not eat uh
0: bubble gum off of the rails. yeah, yeah. What was the other? The other <laughs> that was an important lesson, though. No. <laughs> is fair. Um, what was I going to say? The 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 Santa Claus, the movie, the Santa Claus, oh, kind wow. of kind We're of does that this. because it's just all children. It's yeah. as the elves, which I thought was actually a, a kind of nice like way to do it. But again, like you know, it's magical creatures. Like clearly, elves don't exist, and it's weird because like. We've got elves, like the Keebler elves and Santa Claus elves that are tiny. And then you go to Tolkien and it's like they're all seven foot tall Aryan immortals who just I, I do love around that we, we've been talking
1: about Coda, but we've also veered into the work of Tim Allen. I find that to be fast. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and Richard Dreyfus, um, And wanting to fuck octopuses, which I uh, won't call a disability, but is definitely a moral failing in some kind of way Fuck-topus. that, that needs to work about. octopus. <laughs> Octopus. see that's why when you guys were talking about the octopus movie and you were talking about fucking it i was like oh are we talking about uh like the handmaiden because that's the only movie i remember with a sexually active octopus in it
2: <laughs> wait what
0: the handmaiden the uh the movie
2: no the i man, know boy. but i don't remember any tentacle porn in that movie
0: or is it just the handmaid i can't remember bill do you know oh no it's the handmaiden it's it's the the handmaiden is the the uh the movie by park chan wook
2: no, I know, but I'm saying I don't remember. There's like a reveal
0: porn. at the end of that movie where like the bad dude is like, uh, if you don't tell me what's going on, I'm going to give you to this octopus. And there, there is a layer of sexual menace to the concept of being given to this octopus. Hmm. Yes. Bill I agrees with this. me. <laughs>
2: hmm. I believe you.
0: Okay. Kristen, have you ever seen the Handmaid?
1: No, much like Mr. Holland's opus. I feel like I need to
0: see this. Uh, I would definitely say The Handmaiden before Mr. Holland's Opus. You know, if you if you mm-hmm. only if you have like if you're going to die in like 4 hours and you only have the opportunity to see one of those two movies, maybe go with The Handmaiden. Meanwhile, I'm going to I would hang say up of I'm all the movies that we're recommending,
2: that. I would start with The Handmaiden. I would Then ignore go to The Santa the fuck Claus. Piss. <laughs> 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 Mr. Holland's Opus only if you're feeling like not Super depressed.
0: Yep. Quiet Place Two. glass you. we've talked about a lot of movies the, this episode. We've yeah. talked about a lot of things. Are there any final? Well, thoughts we're talking
2: about disability at large. I mean, it, it it touches all areas of life.
0: Yeah, and I would say that uh, as we've talked about different movies and how they've handled disabilities, I think that Coda is a step in the right direction, and also just it's uh once again, it's a movie that doesn't get bogged down too much in the stuff that you expect a movie like this to fall into. And at the end, it's a very positive, uplifting, enjoyable time at the movies. Here, here. Yes,
2: yeah, agreed. And Troy Kotzer, he is so good. I yes, I'm going to be really advocating for him at the end of the year.
0: Just like we did with Paul Racy.
2: I thought it was Rachi.
0: I thought it was Racy.
1: I think it's Racy.
0: Hell really? yeah. I'm on a name fucking streak this episode.
1: I'm pretty sure it is. Cause I was saying Rachi for a long time and then somebody corrected me. So I, I think that, yeah,
0: I think it's crazy. I'm the best right. around. Anyway. Um, let us close, uh, this episode by all of us singing a verse of all I need to get by. We will start with Robin Barr. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> How does that song go again? I was going to say, yeah, I don't remember the words.
0: (laughs) Uh, A likely story. Anyway, (laughs) I was about to say, uh, one lyric is the title of the song. So there is that as an option. I just know
1: something about Mountain Dew, or maybe it's not. Something Dew. Never mind.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so that's good. Uh, So that's it. We all enjoyed Coda to uh, varying degrees and we all think that you should check it out. It is on Apple TV Plus uh where you can also catch the brand new season of Ted Lasso and um Mr. Corbin. If Corman? you're
2: into Treacle.
0: Yes. Uh give me that Treacle. Mhm. Yeah. It's good Treacle. Okay. They had a Christmas episode. It aired in August when it was 90 degrees outside. It yeah, was still it was incredibly terrifyingly
2: touching. I was getting a toothache watching that episode.
0: Yep. <laughs> it was good. I like it. Sick all right. Anyway, um what are we what are we talking about next week, Ravon? A Annette. Annette. <laughs> a nut. Cannot wait. Uh this is of course the movie that's a musical with uh with um Kylo Ren and the uh, 9-11 denier, right?
2: If you call it music, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I like how you latched onto
0: that part and not me not remembering either character's name or actor's name and I think
2: those were accurate.
0: Okay, that's, that works for me. The so I and
2: get, my fiance,
3: you can also call him wide body.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. He's got he's got the chest of a mattress, <laughs> head of a, <laughs> of a pillow. Um. So anyway, uh Adam Driver and Marion Cotillard. I finally remembered. Um. Good job yeah cool good for me uh don't oh, forget crats. to go to our patreon patreon.com slash film stage show to give us your money and of course don't forget to go to mubi.com slash the film stage in order to get your free 30 day trial movie so you can check out the uh movie that i talked earlier uh wherein it's 16 static shots of uh, coal fire plants i'm looking forward to it should be interesting so that's it for today let us tell the fine people at home where you can be found between now and the next time that we're in their ears uh kristen lopez would you like to begin
1: sure i am on twitter at journeys underscore film and in my free time i do a classic film podcast called ticklish biz uh where you can we talk about classic films and all sorts of fun stuff that's wherever you get your podcasts we're on instagram the youtube channel and we have a patreon at patreon.com slash
4: ticklish biz
0: all right bill graham
3: uh you can find me watching the handmaiden on amazon baby it's on there in 4k streaming now um you can find me watching that on twitter at @cablebfg, and you can also find me on instagram at billstagram um and yeah i'm mixing it up in the slack channel Get back in there.
0: Just remember that if there is only one uh, movie that you want to watch that involves someone wanting to fuck or possibly being fucked by an octopus. Yes. The handmaiden, not my octopus teacher.
3: Yes. And not uh the shape of water either.
0: That was not an octopus. It was no. not a cephalopod at all. It was But a, it was a fish creature. Yes, a so sea it was creature. An aquatic animal. <laughs> yes. Alright. Oh boy. Uh Rumbar.
2: Uh, you can find me on Twitter at R-O-B-Y-N-B-A-H-R. Uh, you can also find some of my writing at my website, which is yentavision.com, which is where I aggregate all of the stuff that I've published. And uh, I also sometimes write for The Hollywood Reporter, so you can find my work there as well.
0: And you can find me watching Mr. Holland's Opus on Disney+, Plus. apparently. I guess they, it was either made with them originally or they somehow consumed whatever entity may have made it previously. So feel free to check that out. Uh, of course, you can find me on all the social medias at Brian J. Rowan, um, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and all that. And uh, of course, you can follow my uh, distillery at Schmidt Spirits on all social media as well. And you can uh, find my writing in every episode of this here podcast by going to thefilmstage.com. So thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen, and join us next week.